The second reading is from the first Corinthians. If I speak in the tongue of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own, on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end, for we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now, we are in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide these three. And in the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Jesus began to speak in the synagogue at Nazareth. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to a widow at Zarephath and Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and of none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The Gospel of the Lord. 
Grace to you and peace from God, our Heavenly Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has come to proclaim freedom to the captives. Amen. Amen. The lectionary has dropped us today in the middle of a chapter and in the middle of a story already in progress. So think back with me to a few weeks ago. We read St. Luke's account of Christ's baptism where the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon our Lord in the form of a dove. And then, well, then Luke interrupted the story with a list of Jesus' ancestors. But the next event, which starts our present chapter, follows closely on the heels of Christ's baptism. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. Jesus endures these demonic assaults, and Satan departed from him until an opportune time, as St. Luke puts it. Then, as we read last week, Jesus, still filled with the power of the Spirit, began teaching in the synagogues throughout Galilee, he entered the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, and read from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He gave the scroll back to the attendant sat down and gave one of the world's shortest sermons. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And this brings us up to today for today. How did the people react to such an odd sermon? Not well. You can almost hear them saying, wait, 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 wait. Isn't that Mary and Joe's kid? Who does he think he is to claim the authority of a prophet like Isaiah? Someone else chimes in. He was always a little off. Remember that time that he went missing in Jerusalem? Someone else. Yeah, that whole family is nuts. I've heard they have a cousin who wanders around the desert in camel hair robes. And... To be honest, that's not the reaction preachers want to a sermon. Bemused muttering in the pews is rarely a good sign. But then it gets worse. Because somewhere in the congregation, someone realizes that the Romans might not take too kindly to that whole liberation of the oppressed part. No, this isn't just a hometown kid acting above his station. He's a threat. You can hear someone thinking, if word of this gets out, we're going to have a legion on our doorstep. If he's not careful, he's going to get us all crucified. The crowd is whipped up into a frenzy. They drive Jesus out of town to the edge of a cliff, trying to throw him off to his death. Miraculously, Jesus 
is able to simply walk away through the midst of them. But even though he survives this encounter, I suspect that this may be one of those opportune times for Satan. You've been doing this for a few weeks, and already the threats pour in. Those were your neighbors. Those were your childhood friends. Some of them were even your relatives back there, and they were trying to kill you. Do you really expect anyone else to be more receptive, Jesus? Do you really think anyone would leave their life behind and follow you? Do you really think the Romans will let you keep preaching? They'll murder you. But my offer from the desert still stands. Bow down now. Just bow down. And this whole pile of human filth and misery can be yours. Dear ones, the Spirit rests upon us to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom. The Spirit is sending us out as members of the body of Christ. But how risky it is. We heralds of this coming kingdom, we who are sent out to proclaim the good news of our Lord, pose a direct threat to the powers that be, not through force of arms, but because we reveal the truth that their power is limited. You, yes, even you, pose a direct threat to the powers. You pose a direct threat to the Caesars, to the dictators, to the presidents who grasp power through violence and fear. You pose a direct threat to the corporations that make their profits off the backs of the poor. You pose a direct threat to the religious leaders who sell a false message of extravagant financial and political prosperity in the here and now. These powers will not let go without a fight, and we should expect a no warmer greeting than Jesus found in Nazareth. And I realize that this sounds extreme in Macon, because we have churches on so many corners. But this is not hyperbole. The prophets of old faced down tyrannical kings. In the end, even Christ, who passed through that Nazarene crowd, eventually ended up on the cross. Let us remember that Good Friday is only about two and a half months away, and we'll read that story soon enough. From the earliest days of the church, when Stephen was killed bearing witness to Christ and Jerusalem, to bishops and theologians like Ignatius and Justin in the second century, to bold women like Perpetua, Felicity, and Blandina, to those who were marched into concentration camps for opposing the Nazi regime, to those who were hung from trees and whose churches were bombed for proclaiming the liberating gospel in the Jim Crow South, and to priests murdered by death squads in South and Central America, the powers and principalities of this world are quite skilled at violently imposing silence and rewarding those who keep their mouths shut. How tempting it is when confronted with the lions in the arena or the barrel of a rifle to simply tell the powers what they want to hear. Oh, what an opportune time it must be, standing before a powerful judge, that voice 
whispering, just deny it all. Just tell them what they want to hear. Offer whatever they want and make it out of here with your life. Theologian and historian George Colancis describes martyrdom this way. Injustice recognized justice. Because when sent to the arena, the young were shown to be as wise as the old. Women to have the strength of men. Slaves to have a more profound sense of freedom than their owners. This power is foolish in the eyes of the world because it's power not like that of the emperor or the CEO, but power granted by Christ and wielded trusting that our Lord will raise us up. This is weakness in the eyes of the world, but it bears witness to God's strength. Throughout the ages, Christians have let the Spirit flow through them, even when facing prison, torture, and death. These witnesses, these martyrs in Greek, looked the demonic powers square in the eye and said, the worst you can do is take my life. But true life is in Christ. Send me to the grave, for I know that the only tomb that matters now sits empty. Sisters and brothers, the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. The Spirit is sending us into the violent wilderness of the world. Proclaiming liberation to the oppressed will sound a lot like bad news to the oppressor. Putting the last first will sound awful to those already at the front of the line. Laying down your life is terrifying if you don't know what is on the other side of the grave. For those of us who have more than enough, giving it away might hurt an awful lot, about as much as the realization that it was never ours to begin with. But behold, behold that we are united to a great cloud of witnesses. We have the shining example of those blessed martyrs from Scripture, Stephen, Peter, and Paul, and those early martyrs like Ignatius, Justin, Perpetua, Felicity, and Blandina, and their 20th century heirs, Dietrich, Martin, and Oscar, pointing us toward Christ. And we have Christ, ushering us through the midst of an angry and violent mob, ushering us into new life. Here on the cross is strength. Here is power. Here is the freedom to serve God and neighbor. Here are the waters where the Holy Spirit anointed you. Here you died the only death that truly matters, dying with Christ that you may rise again with your Lord. Here on this table is wine to revive you. Here is bread to make you strong. Here is your Lord to strengthen you when you falter. Here is the good news that the powers and principalities that sin, the devil, and death do not have the final say. Amen.